Hey everyone, you are listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast, and I'm your host, Simple Electronics. And with me today, we do not have anybody special at all. It's just me today. Now, don't worry, it's not because nobody wants to be on the podcast, it's just that I haven't reached out to anybody since I've been busy this week. However, if you want to be on the podcast, make sure to contact me at simpleelectronicsyt at gmail.com and I'll schedule you in. I do have some guests lined up for the upcoming weeks. I just have to reach out to them and make sure we set a good time. If your schedule is a little bit more flexible, maybe you can jump ahead of some people. Make sure to let me know if you want to be on the podcast. So today this gives me a opportunity to have a little bit of a different format. I figure I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of a channel update and then in the latter half, I'm going to go into a Q&A session where I have some questions from both uh, Patreon and I have a few from the community post. So I guess let's get started. Uh, first thing I want to talk to you about is my commission project. This is a project that I've been working on for over a year now and mostly off, you know, on and off, but mostly off um, and mostly waiting for parts that, you know, never came or came and they were the wrong parts. Um, but recently we've modified the project a little bit to make it work in a tighter time frame. So the premise of this project is to have a electronic doorbell, like those kits you can get on Amazon for fairly cheap. They typically come with uh, three or two receivers and uh, two or three buttons. So you can have your front door and your back door. And it's to get this doorbell to ring automatically when it detects people heading up to the door. So I think the original intent for this thing is that when a the post office or um, or a courier comes and delivers a package, they don't always ring the doorbell. So the package could be sitting out there for a little while. And I think this person also wanted um, the doorbell to be rung when their dog came to the door to be let back in. There are a couple of suitable sensors in order to do this. The two that come to mind are the PIR, or Passive Infrared Sensors, which detects um, a living body's um, heat, basically the infrared energy radiating off a living body. And there's a microwave sensor, which uses uh, Doppler radar technology, to detect if an object is moving within its sight lines. Now, I think either one of them, trying to wire either one of them up to the doorbell would be fairly simple. And actually, I will, I will say that I thought this project would be fairly simple from the get-go. Turns out, not so much. But the goal is to combine both the inputs to reduce false triggering. For example, the microwave sensor, the or the Doppler sensor, will likely go off if some big object flies in front of it, like let's say a storm of leaves, for example. Leaves will get swirled up and then the doorbell will ring. And that's not a good thing. So you definitely want something um, living to be at the door. So the passive infrared would also be good, but then it might not go off in certain situations where um, 
let's say the body is well insulated or something like that, or even in, uh, I believe in strong sun sunlight, it has trouble detecting people. So the solution is you combine both those sensors and then that output, combined output, you just wire to the chip inside the doorbell switch that sends the signal to uh, activate the doorbell. This is what I thought originally. It would be quite simple to just order an AND gate. So I ordered an AND gate, a CMOS AND gate. I don't remember the name of the chip offhand, but it came in and I could not get it to work. And the simple reason for that is because the output of these two sensors, when it detects motion, was around 3.3 volts. The AND gate needed more voltage in order to activate. Okay, so now I was like, I just wasted all this time waiting for these sensors. And also, uh, mind you, the passive infrared sensors have still not arrived. So I'm using whatever I have in stock here, which will be two different modules. But in my testing, I'm thinking, okay, I can just make a bespoke AND gate. So I wired two NPN transistors, uh, 2N3904, I believe, uh, in series, and each of the bases connected to the output of the sensors. This did not work. And the reason it didn't work is because of the voltage drop induced by having the two transistors in series. So you got two transistors together. 3.3 uh, volts is not enough to activate the uh, first transistor because the second transistor has a base uh, emitter voltage of the 3.3 volts as well. So that did not work. So then I thought I would try MOSFETs. I have these uh, really nice uh, surface mount um, end channel MOSFETs. Put those in series. Same thing, not enough uh, voltage difference on the gate to activate the, the MOSFETs on hard enough in order for them to send a signal. Okay, so that's no good. Then I decided to tie each sensor to a MOSFET and then that MOSFET would power the gate of the two MOSFETs in series. And yet again, I couldn't get it to work simply because the instead of the MOSFET being tied to ground uh, and then the base charge being compared to ground, it was tied to another MOSFET. So it brought the ground up and then the voltage coming off of the, um, uh, of the, the other MOSFETs, the, the ones that are being controlled by the sensors, just wouldn't pass enough voltage. I'd lose too much voltage in order to activate everything on hard. So at the end, even with a supply voltage of 8 volts, I ended up with um, my AND gate output would be somewhere around like 2 volts. It just wasn't enough. So I was completely at a loss. And honestly, my commission, the, the person who commissioned this project, they've been waiting a very long time for this project. I mean, they told me not to rush. They told me that other things are more important, so don't worry about it. But still, I mean, it's been over a year. So then I, I had to, you know, I can probably make it work if I kept working on it. But 
just keeping in mind that I wanted this thing to be battery powered because it would be, you know, mounted outside somewhere. I didn't want to use a microcontroller that would use quite a bit of current. And then this person would have to replace the batteries every week or so, or even sooner. I, I just wasn't into it. So I was like, look, is there any way we can power this from a wall wart? Because if we can power it from a wall wart, then uh, power draw is not an issue. And then I can just use a microcontroller to look for both outputs and then output its own signal, you know, when it needs to. And the person said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can run it from wall warts. Um, I understand this is, you know, this is going on for a while and taking up a lot of your time. We'll do it from wall warts. So as soon as that person said that, I went to the bench and I prototyped using uh, DigiSpark. I wrote, I don't know, eight or nine lines of code. And all of a sudden, I can make this thing trigger reliably. So when both sensors sense something approaching, they trigger the doorbell to ring. And the whole doorbell section is just a commercial doorbell. So I don't even have to worry about, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just all handled by the commercial doorbell. So I reported back. This person was quite happy. And now all that's left is I'm going to make a circuit board for it that will fit my enclosure, modify the enclosure a little bit, uh, record a video, and then I can send the stuff out. So I'm hoping to have that done soon because this poor person has been waiting a long time for me to get back to them on this. Moral of the story, uh, if you want me to build you a project, I am available to take commissions after this one is done, obviously. But you're going to have to be patient. I have a lot of things going on in my life. And so I really commend this person for being that patient. I've offered refunds multiple times. The person said, no, it's fine. I'll just wait. Um, so yeah, if you want something built, uh, let me know. But um, yeah, you got to be patient. Also, I guess uh, this is a good time to tell you that the video will be coming out you know, fairly shortly. I wouldn't say like soon, but in a reasonable amount of time because um, it is now the concept is done. I just need to make the circuit board and uh, yeah, formalize the whole thing. And there we go. If you want to build your own, um, the design, the, the commissioner said I could keep the design uh, it's, it's, you know, I could sell it, uh, but I don't want to sell it. I'm going to open source the whole thing, the circuit board, the code, everything. And then you guys can make your own if you are interested. And what's great is that it just ties into a commercial doorbell unit, which is wireless. So all you'll have to do is, um, yeah, assemble it and, uh, plug it in somewhere outside. And in the future, I it's bothering me that I didn't really achieve what I set out to achieve to have it battery powered. So I will continue slowly working on a battery powered version for those of you that want to run it off some 18650s. And I think for a stretch goal, I want to integrate a solar panel as well. So yeah, that's the uh, commission project that you've been hearing me waffle on about. And now that it's out there, um, you know, I'm under a little bit more pressure to get it done, but that's fine because this person does deserve their doorbell. Next project I'd like to talk about is the uh, large 3D printer build. Uh, 
So the large 3D printer build is going ahead. Um, it's not really in a state where I can make a video on it yet. It's too basic. So basically, I have the frame uh, pretty much set up. I have um, some corner pieces printed that I got from Thingiverse that uh, are holding the frame together. And I built uh, or I designed and printed some legs that will bolt it down to a piece of wood. Basically, my plan is to have everything sort of hanging off the frame so I can take the whole thing, you know, on the road. I could take it, you know, to I can bring it somewhere or I can move it around the shop and print in different locations in the shop depending on what I need to film. Um, so, yeah, the frame is up. The linear rails are installed. I have a rough sketch of what I want it to look like and work like. And um, now my big hang-up is I have to design uh, two stepper motor mounts uh, before I can put... Uh, I need to design two stepper motor mounts and actually the um, the rail mount for, I guess that would be the Y-axis. So the X-axis is done. The No, actually the Y-axis is done. The X-axis needs to be done. There we go. So I need to mount a couple supports and I need to make a... Um, stepper motor mount and why this is so complicated is because I'm going with a core XY mechanism. If you have a web browser handy you should uh, take a look at what a core XY mechanism looks like. It's a little bit more complex than the Cartesian style that we're used to on say in, like an Ender 3 um, and I, I'm going with the core XY style because I feel like having two motors being engaged pretty much in every single move um, with that tension on the on, on the head will allow me to print a little bit faster and a little bit more accurately because you have two points of contact you know always moving around your your gantry the goal for this printer actually is changing a little bit in my head as well I was thinking that I wanted to build this thing to handle exotic materials, to handle, um, you know, like high temperature, to high, to handle um, flexibles. But because it's a very large print volume, I may just want this to be a large volume printer. So just use regular PLA, maybe, you know, PETG, you know, simple, still very simple materials. Um, but be able to print it fast with like a 0.5 or a 0.6 millimeter nozzle. So all this is still, you know, in my head. I don't know which way I'm going um, with this, but I do know that I want an exotic material printer. So if this 3D printer build becomes my large volume 3D printer, I will very likely build a much smaller one in an enclosure to handle um, those weird exotic filaments. There are reasons why I want exotic. So one of them is uh, strength. I really want to be able to build some strong parts, probably out of nylon or something like that, or some engineering filaments, maybe some carbon fiber reinforced stuff. But mainly it's uh, flexibles is a big one for me too because I want to print uh, tires and um, and tank treads and stuff like that. So yeah, but at the same time, I also want the big volume 
because I want to print things like boat hulls and um, RC cars. I have um, I have in my head. Uh, I don't know if I should say. I guess I'll say it. Like my the, the amount of people that listen to the podcast is you know fairly low compared to um, my popular videos. So I can probably say this here. I plan, or I I'm hoping to build um, a remote control car, which is fully 3D printed. And I'm talking about completely, and I'm thinking the even the motor that powers it will be 3D printed. And I want this 3D printed car to go half of the top speed of the fastest 3D of the fastest remote control car in the world. So this will be some sort of dragster vehicle, but fully 3D printed. The only thing that won't be 3D printed will be stuff like um, the servos. They can't be 3D printed. Uh, the magnets for the motor, but I do want to build my own motor. And everything else, like suspension, wheels, tires, uh, gears, um, uh, yeah, shocks, springs, everything, 3D printed. So this will push my design abilities to the max. Like I'm not sure if I have really the qualifications or the skills needed to design something like this, but that would be the ultimate goal is to get a RC car going half the world speed record uh, of an RC car, but this one being fully 3D printed. I already have a concept in my head of what I want it to look like and what the frame's going to be built like and stuff like that. However, um, in order to print this frame, I need a large print volume, and that's what you know the big 3D printer is going to be for. Now, I could always convert my current 3D printer into an exotic material printer. Uh, I have a Tron XY X3A, uh, which I bought simply because at the time, uh, I think it's back in 2019, 2018, it was the cheapest um, all-metal 3D printer you could buy. I bought it on eBay. Uh, it came really quick, two days from China, which was pretty awesome. Uh, it has an all-aluminum frame, but it has some issues. For example, the bed wobbles a lot, and like a lot, a lot. Also, the extruder uh, keeps stripping filament, so I'm getting inconsistent um, extrusion. Um, there's nowhere to put the filament on it. The footprint is massive for the tiny amount of print volume it has. But I can modify this one because the, the frame is fine. I mean, it's nothing special, but it's fine. I could modify it with a new extruder, uh, with new belt tensioners, with a new bed and bed support system. Uh, and control board and hot end. And basically the only thing that will be remaining is the frame. Now the big problem with that is that I can't really modify this 3D printer easily um, without sort of having a 3D printer to print the modified parts out on. I am going to take that as a challenge though because 
Banggood a while ago has sent me some upgrade parts for it. So I will be doing like a slow upgrade where basically I'll upgrade one component at a time, uh, design, 3D print the parts, and then install it, tune it, and then get it printing again as accurately as possible, and then move on to the next part. And um, that is a possibility that I can turn this thing into, you know, some sort of direct drive, um, super rigid, um, you know, monster in a enclosure, basically. So that is very much a possibility, but uh, we'll have to do that slowly. So I feel as though this will happen, like it will be upgraded, but I don't know if it'll be upgraded to the point where I can do exotic materials because that's pretty much a full rebuild. At the moment, uh, Banggood has sent me uh, linear rails for the uh, for all the axes. They have sent me an extruder, um, BMG double gear uh, three to one extruder, which is pretty neat. And they have sent me an SKR 1.3. So that's two, it's a control board that is two generations old at this point. But it is way better than the shitty control board that came in the Tron XY in the first place. So that already means that I have a decent upgrade path. But in order for it to be even better, I have to upgrade to something like a BL Touch auto leveling sensor. I'd have to do a complete swap of where the stepper motors for the Z-axis are. Uh, so they're inside the frame right now. I'd have to move them to the outside. Then I can upgrade the bed to something much bigger and also have a variety of build plates. So I can you know, build tack or some sort of magnetic thing or spring steel thing, which means I need to upgrade the heater, which means I have to upgrade the power supply so you can see how this is you know it could become a multi-year thing i just i don't have you know what is it like 40 hours to dedicate to designing and building parts for this thing and have it turn into you know an easy video or whatever and then oh yeah and then you need an enclosure and some sort of way to vent uh, so yeah it will have to move from my workspace to another space and yeah so you can see it's a big deal uh, so I will be doing some upgrades. I just don't know if this really will be the machine that I will make, you know, into my super precise um, exotic filament printer. This could just be the workhorse that just churns out parts for the other printers, for example. So right now, it seems like in less than a year, I'll have a large format printer and my regular 3D printer with upgrades and then we'll have to see where we're going to go from there. Another thing a lot of you seem to be really excited about is the uh, remote control boat. The one that's, you know, looks like a, to a, a children's sandbox toy because basically that's what it is. I was actually surprised to see the amount of people excited about that project. And my original vision for that project was that everything would be homemade the radio um, transmitter, the radio receiver, the speed controller. I already have the motor mount and the uh, propeller shaft, which is all homemade as well. Um, and yeah, I thought everything was going to be homemade and that would be a neat project. But the truth is um, that the parts I've selected to home make with 
like the NRF 24L01 wireless um, transceiver module, I wasn't able to get work properly. And some people were saying that it's quite possible because it is a, um, a, a counterfeit product and that's the reason I can't get it to work. But that doesn't quite make sense to me um, because, I mean, they're sort of all counterfeit, aren't they? Like we're, we're all getting our stuff from AliExpress and other people who are much better at coding seem to have really good success. So I got discouraged off the NRF 24L01 but I need to pick it back up. So what I'm going to do, the plan now, because uh, basically summer comes and goes here in Canada very quickly. The plan is to um, take this RC boat, put it together mechanically, have all the mechanical parts function. That doesn't seem like a lot of work to me. I have a couple of things I'll need to design in 3D print, which I think are well within my wheelhouse. And I'll have it work with traditional remote control uh, gear. So basically I'll have a speed controller, I'll have a receiver, I'll use my regular transmitter, I'll use lithium polymer batteries. Um, the motor have already selected it, but I could change it to a different motor, it's not that big of a deal. So get that all working and then introduce slowly the project of making a wireless transmitter with the NRF24L01. I think the NRF24L01 is the way to go for the uh, remote system, the remote control system, because you can use something like an ESP, for example, to Bluetooth your phone, but that gives you such limited range. Bluetooth is not great for long range. Um, the NRF24L01 has a decent range, a couple hundred feet for sure. But I also had bought higher powered uh, long range versions of, of that module. And so I really think I need to get this thing working and working properly uh, in order to make myself my own radio receiver and then and transmitter and then integrate that, you know, like slowly remove parts that I have put in, like remove the traditional remote control parts from the boat one at a time as I complete projects. Because again, this year I am trying to complete more projects. It's not easy, but I can do it and I need to do it. So expect to see the RC boat a little bit sooner. Definitely uh, want to be done before the end of June. Um, and after that video, then I'll be slowly making the upgrades to home built stuff. Then once I have the base, like the home built transmitter, the home built receiver, the home built um, speed controller, um, then I'll be able to open source those projects so you guys can use them as well. That's another difficulty because I really want to open source everything I do. I'm a big fan of open source and so I can't just take other people's code because it's not mine to give, right? Like obviously I can get their permission but still, that's not really me contributing. That's really just me copying and pasting someone else's code and saying, they said I can use it and they said you can use it, so go use it. I really want to add to the knowledge base. I want to, you know, I want to, first of all, I want to learn how to do it. And I really want to add to the community, not, um, 
you know, not keep taking stuff from the people who are already giving. So that's why I need to learn how to do this. Um, maybe not on my own, like obviously guides and stuff are cool, but I really want this um, project to really come from me. So yeah, I might use other people's projects as a jumping off point as uh, inspiration, but I really think that I'm, I should be able to, to make a wireless transceiver like that. And um, yeah, that's why I plan on doing it. The other project that a lot of people are in anticipation of is the snow speeder turning into a water speeder. Now, there's not much holdup on that. I have to design. I have, that's a lot of, you know, Fusion 360 work, I'm guessing. But I have to design um, the pontoons to change the uh, skis on the snow speeder into a water speeder. My original idea is to use um, pop bottles and... Um, you know, make 3D printed mounts to go onto the suspension. And then I'll be able to run this thing like I did on the snow, but on the water. So there's not much holdup on that, except for the fact that I kind of want to print it in PETG. And in order to print PETG, I think I want to upgrade the extruder on the 3D printer first. So that's the plan. Um, I'm also thinking of maybe 3D printing floats altogether, like just making the, 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 the floats from scratch instead of using a pop bottle. I'm thinking from scratch might be better because it seems like uh, soda bottles are regionally dependent. So not everyone in every region can get a hold of, you know, any... A pop bottle of a certain size. So if I make an adapter to hold it, then it may not be available for someone, let's say in Europe, because here in North America, especially in Canada, we're very um, influenced by the US. But even between our two countries, there are differences in dimensions of pop bottles. So that's an idea. Uh, I'm also a little bit terrified of losing my GoPro in the water. So uh, obviously I want to take good footage of this, uh, of this watercraft and my footage is going to be getting better and better. Like I'm learning new techniques and, you know, watching other RC YouTubers. Um, but this, uh, GoPro, uh, I mean, I can't really mince words. was a giant investment for me. It costs a lot of money. I don't have all that much money. Like the, the channels in a, uh, in a in a, in a, in the negative pretty far in the red i support it by working two jobs right now and you know i'm still not building up any savings you know my my accounts are always you know towards the empty side it and that's okay i'm not i don't want you to feel bad for me because i still do this as a hobby i'm doing it cuz i want to do it right so so don't worry about that what i want you to understand is if i lose this gopro to the bottom of a lake um, I'll have to wait several months in order to buy a new one. And since I have a lot of RC projects on the way, that's just not acceptable. I need my filming equipment. So that being said, um, it's a little bit terrifying. I'll have to figure out some sort of mount, uh, that I'll be able to mount onto the craft in such a way that the mount and the GoPro won't be lost. But at the same time, the GoPro can't be like, a major hindrance you can't like like 
this thing will probably barely work as it is. Don't forget, I designed it. Uh, so it can't be like really in the way and, um, and affect the usability. Like for example, this GoPro weighs quite a bit. Uh, if I hang it off to the side, let's just say on the right side, uh, facing the left, so you get a nice view of the full uh, snow speeder or water speeder, whatever it's gonna be called at the time, you get a nice view of it. Um, and then what happens is that side is less buoyant and the thing flips over. Well then not only do I have the potential to lose the GoPro, but I'll ruin my speed controller. I'll ruin um, my my batteries might puff up. My radio receiver will be ruined. And yeah, I'm not sure that I really have the means to replace all that stuff at the moment. I'm very fortunate, I'll have to say, that I have uh, two uh, major sponsors for the channel, as well as I think I'm up to 17 patrons. Um, but again, don't forget, I still have, uh, bills to pay. So yeah, it, it just, you know, it, I'm probably going to do it anyways. I'm just letting you guys know why the hesitancy exists. Cause you know, these things cost money and I have to replace them. And honestly, if I start 3d printing, well, I am 3d printing a lot. I, I should probably chip in a little bit more, you know, my wife and I, we have our, our finances, um, uh, separate and then we pay bills together and mortgage together and stuff. I should probably chip in a little bit more if I'm going to be running that much electricity. Turns out a 3D printer is about, I think on average, averages out to about 100 to 140 watts. And that's not too bad. But if you think the snow speeder probably took uh, 40 or so hours to print, probably more, probably more like 60 hours to print. It adds up over time. And now I'm gonna have a second printer running with a much better uh, heated bed. So yeah, basically all I'm saying is these things cost money. I don't want you to feel bad for me. I just want you to understand my perspective. So yeah, uh, the snow speeder will be coming, but you know, it's a lot of time I have to sit down in front of Fusion 360 and uh, sort of work at it. Interesting thing about Fusion 360, though, is that I managed to crash it about, I don't know, 20 times yesterday. So our house here, uh, it's a fairly small house, and the backyard is completely filled with a pool. I would not advise you guys to buy a house that has a pool unless you're really, really into it. When we were shopping for a house, every house we looked at in our price range was a pile of trash. Like literally there were houses that were like leaning over by like uh, 11 degrees or so or 12 degrees. So it was really crooked. There were houses that instead of drywall, there was like huge slaths of like plaster and there were, the walls were like yellowed from cigarette smoke. Um, there were houses, basically everything we looked at was was just absolute junk. Then this house, the one that we're in right now, came onto the market. And we went right away to look at it. And in comparison, this house was a uh, sort of a glowing halo. It was the same price as the other houses. It was out a bit more from the city than we wanted to be. Um, 
and it came with a pool. So everything was in relatively good shape. Uh, we weren't super fond of the pool, but honestly, because of the fact that every house we looked at was a pile of junk, um, we did we really overlooked. We're like, whatever, we'll deal with the pool. Big friggin' mistake. So as an automotive guy, I can tell you, if you think your car breaks down a lot, try owning a friggin' pool. Pool components are built so cheaply, but they are so expensive because they're a specialty product. I, I, maybe it's different somewhere else in the world, but here in Canada, super expensive. And the parts get discontinued super quickly. So there's not much support. Right now, I can go to uh, the dealership and pick up parts for my old man's 18-year-old uh, Ford. No problem. I could get aftermarket parts for that 18-year-old Ford. No problem. In fact, the parts are incredibly cheap for that 18-year-old Ford. But can I get parts for a you know, 30-year-old uh, pool? Not a chance. We've spent so much money keeping this pool going to the point that we went to um, a pool dealer and we asked them how much it is just to get the whole thing filled in. And they told us, that installing a brand new pool from scratch is about the same cost as removing a pool, an in-ground pool, especially because where we are and how it is close to the house, it's such a huge hole in the ground that if an engineer doesn't draft plans, if they don't fill it with the proper materials in the proper way, uh, then the whole ground could slide where the pool was and pull the foundation in with it. So basically, trying to get rid of this pool would be a giant risk and hoping that whoever we contracted to, to get it done, you know, which would, we're talking about in the tens of thousands, uh, wouldn't mess it up and then cost us our, our, our house, right? Like, if, obviously it'd be insured, but like, do you really want to lose your house? No. So that being said, um, this year, the skimmer basket, so the skimmer is a little sort of like a, a, a water intake that, that takes water to the filter, and it's the one that's on the surface of the pool. So it skims the surface of the pool. There's a basket in there that collects all the debris before it gets to the pump. That basket is completely knackered, completely done for. I decided, you know what, instead of paying, you know, $100, because the basket's I think this one actually is available, but it's about uh, 40 bucks US plus another like 30 bucks shipping because it's kind of big in, in volume. That's, yeah, 40 plus, yeah. So it's like $100 Canadian, basically, by the time it gets to the door. I decided, screw that. I have PETG in stock. I haven't tried printing it with it yet, but I do have it. I'm going to design my own skimmer basket and print it out and that'll be that. So uh, the dimensions are about 190 mils in diameter by 200 mils in height and uh, 220 mils is the lip size on top. So I tried to design this in Fusion 360. So I started by making sort of like a puck and then I made holes and then I patterned the holes and that was fine. And then I made the sides, I extruded up the sides and then I tried to make holes in the sides. And 
Fusion just kept crashing because there was too many objects on the sketch for it to handle. I happened to be in uh, Zach Freeman's uh, uh, chat in his live stream at the time, and I just asked if he knew if there was a way to stop it from crashing. Uh, one of the viewers was telling me that, um, you know, that that you need a decent computer, and I was like, well, I feel like it's crashing you know, because of some cloud thing. I don't think it's crashing because my computer power. And he says, well, it's not really doing much on the cloud. Mostly it's uh, working on your computer. Okay, so I open up the CPU performance thing on my computer and it turns out my CPU is using like 15% power, like 15% of its usage was going to Fusion or, or not even to Fusion, that was overall. Fusion was only taking like 5%. I have a 8th gen Intel i7. It's not like the best of the best, but it's decent. But no, this thing would just crash um, trying to compute all the vertices of, of the holes. And it wasn't on my end. So it, must, it wasn't a performance bind. It must have been something with the coding of Fusion. Maybe I don't understand something. But anyways, I managed to crash it like so many times. And finally, I got it uh, exported. And now I have a model that'll take uh, one day and, well, it's basically 28 hours to print out of PETG. And it's not even complete. I still have to make the, the top section, the little ring that goes on top. So that's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to do some upgrades to the 3D printer first. Uh, like put in some uh, cooling ducts and upgrade the extruder. But then after that, I am going to try this 28-hour print, and I'll probably set a time-lapse camera to, to capture it as well. Um, I don't know if it'll actually work. It might end up with a big blob of uh, stringing ooze, but um, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. So look forward to that. I'm not sure if I'm going to put it on um, YouTube, but I'll probably put it on uh, Patreon at least. I'm not sure about, about YouTube yet. I'm trying to focus down the YouTube channel a little bit because I have, like, I really want to do some automotive content, but the, uh, I've asked my audience and it seems like the audience wants a separate channel for the automotive stuff, which is fine. I just don't really have the energy to make a full automotive channel right now, but it will come because, I mean, I have so much more things to say about automotive than about electronics. So that's that. Um, but I'm thinking I might need another throwaway channel. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, Gadget Reboot, um, I, I think, well, I, I consider him a friend of mine. I don't know if he's if he considers me a friend. But he has uh, two new throwaway channels um, that he puts like less, uh, I, I don't know if I would say less effort, but videos that are less polished. How about that? Less to the point in those channels. Um, I think one is called Gadget Sideload and the other one I don't remember, but I will put the links in the description below. Uh, you guys should go subscribe to that. It's just more of the same. It's just a little bit more off the cuff than polished like his regular videos are. And uh, while we're on the subject, um, another maker uh, who I also consider a friend, he has a second channel if you're into programming called Develop with Dan. I'll put all the links in the description below. Oh, and one more. Uh, Bit Looney 
in case you guys didn't know, has a second channel as well called BitLoonies Trash. So yeah, all the links, all the relevant links in the description below. Well, I think I've rambled as far as I can about the projects that are I'm working on and are sort of like in the future. Um, but now I have asked my viewers to submit questions for a Q&A portion, which we're going to jump into right now. I'm going to start with my Patreon questions because, well, uh, they pay me, so they get to the top of the list. So here goes. I didn't actually ask these people permission if I can say what their names are, so I will. they will remain anonymous. But the first one asks, what direction do you see your channel going in the next 12 months? Good question. I don't think I'm going to change anything. Uh, I think I'm going to be staying fairly general. I like to make tutorials. I like to make uh, investigations. I like, uh, you know, trying things out. I like to do uh, teardowns. And I like to do product reviews. So that's pretty much the direction it's going to go. I think the high points, like the the videos that will get the most traction, will probably be uh, project videos like um, that I'm planning. So the, you know about the RC videos. And I have a couple other projects that I can only really start working on once I get parts in from AliExpress. So, um, yeah, again projects, but mostly, you know, mailbags, uh, rev product reviews and, um, little circuits and stuff like that. It'll just depend what, what the, what, what my whims are, but basically it'll be much, you know, more of the same. So thanks for that question. This person also has a second question. I've enjoyed watching all your content and as a fellow educator, what can we do in Canada and the U S to get our students more involved in the maker community? I believe they have a lot to offer and given the right resources can come up with some really interesting and helpful solutions. That's a good question. Um, well, how can we... So this question supposes that there's a way to push people into one direction or another. I think the only thing we can do is expose, um, expose the students to cool stuff and hope it jives with them. So the, the students that do have the things that jive with them will continue down that path. So I guess the, really this question is more about options. We need to show the students uh, what is available and they can pick their passion accordingly. So like, for example, um, if I would have known that Arduino was a thing when I was in high school or I, I get like I wasn't I guess it wasn't a thing. I'm not sure. I might be a little late to the Arduino party. But like, for example, if uh, someone would have done in my class a practical demo of what coding is in the real world, so like using a pick to do something, a pick microcontroller to do something, I probably would have stuck to programming because I did have programming classes in high school. But we used software like Visual Basics, uh, which is a little bit um, a little bit different to like sort of like text-based coding. It was very much like you drag an object on screen and you change its parameters and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, if I was shown just a little bit more of the practical implications of that, I probably would have jumped into electronics a lot sooner. And I probably wouldn't have ended up working on cars like I do now. So I think the the big thing is to... 
is, is to do more demonstrations, is to show uh, students what po the possibilities are. So sort of like, you know, some sort of exploratory days. Because, you know, once uh, a student gets a passion for something, there's no stopping them. And if they didn't know that it was a possibility, then they'll never get started. So I guess thinking back to my podcast with uh, Billy Rubin, she was saying that um, it never occurred to her to be a, a maker per se, like a 3D printing enthusiast per se, because she never saw people that looked like her be interested into it or or something, something to that effect. I don't really want to put words in her mouth, but I think that's the important thing. We need to show what the possibilities are and then let the passions grow from there. So thanks for your question. Next question from a Patreon still. You have mentioned a few times you teach. What do you teach if it's not personal? And does electronics come into it? I teach the automotive profession at a trade college. Um, I think in the States, you guys call it a community college. We just call it college here in Canada. Basically, college is more like the hands-on types of uh, professions and uh, universities is more theoretical, although there is some overlap between the two. So I teach uh, the automotive profession uh, at a college and specifically um, emission systems, electrical systems, uh, air conditioning systems, and sometimes I do uh, work practices and uh, stuff like that. I also teach um, a sort of like uh, getting started in automotive type uh, program where I teach uh, computers, math, um, just basic computers, basic math, and um, sort of like a vehicle anatomy and sort of like um, uh, practical applications. So, so that's the the type of stuff I teach. And does electronics come into it? Absolutely. So the fact that I was a professional mechanic, so to speak, we call them automotive technicians, but mechanic is is fine, just sometimes a little bit derogatory depending on the context. Um, the fact that I was working professionally and I had to diagnose electronic modules, like let's say the the, the computer that controls the uh, engine or the computer that controls all the electronics, I had to diagnose them functioning or not functioning. And the manufacturer, I work for, for Honda, uh, they would say things like, well, if you suspect the computer's not working, test everything else in the circuit, and if everything else is fine, replace the computer. But to me, that was not an acceptable answer. Uh, I wanted to know what was going on on the computer's end for it to fail. I was always like that. Like when I would replace components, I would take them apart and see what's, what's wrong with them. And electronics was still like a big magical question mark to me. So... Basically, that's when I started the YouTube channel to learn electronics better. Uh, and this is this is why. This is the driving force is I wanted to know the why of behind. Like, how do you fry a computer? Like, how, uh, like what happens inside of a computer to make it not accept signals anymore or not send out signals anymore? And so I, f I feel like those things are not mutually exclusive, those two professions. I think there's a lot of overlap in electronics and automotive mechanics, especially today and going forward. So I believe my knowledge of electronics, although fairly basic still at this point, really helps me in my day-to-day -day job and also helps me as a professor for these students. Thanks for your question. 
Next one. A couple of questions here from the same person. Uh, still on Patreon. If you had two weeks free in an unlimited budget, what project would you do? I think I would finish the uh, large format 3D printer. I really want to get that going because uh, I'm getting better slowly at um, Fusion 360 and designing. And so I would really like to get some projects knocked out. There is... I don't know if I want to share it. Yeah, well, there's a big project where I need a big format uh, printer for. Uh, this printer might be even a little small. It might have to do it in parts still. But we'll see. Like, nothing's set in stone. And, um, yeah, I really want to get started on... I really want to do more projects. I want to have more results. This is one thing that uh, I'm a little hard on myself on, but I really want... I really want to finish more things than, you know, than just starting things over and over and, you know, having things in pieces. I want finished actual stuff uh, that I can look back on fondly and say, you know, I did this. Maybe it's just for my self-esteem. Maybe it's for the YouTube channel. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But I really want to get things done. And so, yeah, probably the large format 3D printer is what I would want to do. Oh, wait, it said unlimited budget. Uh Oh, uh, that's even harder. Uh, I would probably build a CNC machine with a laser. That's probably what I would do. Unlimited budget. I can afford some really big, beefy aluminum extrusions and um, some big, big, beefy linear rails, big, beefy motors, control systems. So, yeah, it would be uh, a large CNC slash laser cutter. It would have both. So I think that's what I would do with unlimited budget. Uh, next question. If I had $5,000 to customize my current car, what would I do to it? Well, uh, right now I drive a 2001 Volvo V70. It is the uh, two, uh, 2.5T, 2.4T. Is that what it is? T, T5? No, 2.5T, 2.4T, whatever. It's uh, the one model above the base model. I got it because I got a killer deal on it, paid $400 for it. If I had five grand to customize it, what would I do? I would look for an engine, transmission, driveline, all this stuff from a, a V70R. So that would be, it's a, I have an inline five turbo, but this is a tuned inline five turbo with um, much bigger turbo, actually, a lot more power. And uh, it would convert my two-wheel drive to a four-wheel drive at the same time. I think I could make that happen for five grand. It's hard to say, but I, I would do all the labor myself and all the, um, all the parts would be what I would have to shell out for. So I think five grand is doable. So yeah, I would convert the driveline of my vehicle to a V70R. I would love to buy a V70R, but they are so expensive right now, so... Again, no money, right? I drive a, a I drive a car that's worth four hundred dollars. The car I had before that was a uh, two thousand three Honda CRV, which I paid a thousand bucks for. The car I had before that was a two thousand two uh, Civic Coupe, uh, which I paid a thousand bucks for. The car before that, you get it. Like I I drive hoopties. I just don't have the money to spend on something big. So there we go. Next question. Do you read much? And if so, what? Uh, no, I don't read much. Um, 
my reading consists mainly of Reddit these days. Um, I've tried to read like uh, like technical books, like uh, Arduino type stuff, Python type stuff. It just doesn't it doesn't work for me. Um, I can't quiet my mind down enough to read often, and um, I have this condition called restless leg syndrome. So every once in a while, um, my legs just they, they cramp up and they feel like they need to move, like I need to I have this overwhelming desire to move them. And um, sometimes when I will not be distracted enough, I will feel them and then that'll distract me and I won't be able to focus on anything. And lately in the last week or so, it's been getting bad, like really bad, like not being able to sleep at night bad. So uh, yeah, that that condition means I'm not great at reading but on top of that I mean I'm often working as well I don't have a lot of uh, downtime that doesn't involve watching YouTube and um, contemplating what I should be doing instead of watching YouTube so yeah I would love to read but don't have much time for it uh, next question what accomplishment are you most proud of um that's a that's a difficult question, um, especially because I think my the accomplishment I should be proud of is uh, I'm right now hovering really close to ten thousand subscribers, and that is no small feat. Uh, anybody who's had a YouTube channel for any length of time will tell you that uh, it's very hard to get those first you know first bunch of subscribers, and especially reaching ten thousand. You know, there's far more YouTube channels below you in size than above you in size. Um, so that, that's a big deal. But yet I constantly feel like I don't deserve it, like I make too many mistakes, like I don't work hard enough. Uh, so it's very hard for me to try to accept it for what it is. So I think uh, in earnest it should be. Uh, the fact that I have close to 10,000 subscribers, I'm up to 9524 right now. But um, I think what's more important to me is the community that's, that is slowly building around that. So I've got patrons, which are awesome people. I've made friends with um, YouTubers. Uh, and again, I don't want to speak for them. Like I consider them friends. I can list you off a list, but it's uh, it's quite it's quite large. Um I've met some cool people. Um, some people offered to help me. Um, some people are sending me cool stuff. I've garnered a couple of sponsors, which has been uh, odd to say the least because, I mean, uh, they really believe in what I'm doing. Obviously, the channel is too small for them to make money off me now, but they're investing in the long run, which is awesome. So they believe in me. Um so yeah, I guess the YouTube channel is something that I should be quite proud of, even though some days, you know, my, um, the inner voice says not to be. So I guess that would be that. Thanks for your questions. All those last four were from the same person on Patreon. Um, also, I had a couple of people in the community answer my ask for questions. Um, not a lot though. Uh, it seems community posts don't do very well with my audience, which is, I mean, whatever. So this first one is from a name I cannot say or pronounce because it's written in Arabic. I do not understand or read Arabic. The uh, So this person asks, what is the highest voltage a Tesla coil can produce? 
So this is a bit of a technical question that I cannot answer, but I can tell you a couple things. The voltage that a Tesla coil uh, can produce will be limited by a couple of factors. So uh, first of all, it'll be affected by the humidity in the air um, because at the very top of the Tesla coil where the charges build, uh, the more humid the air is, the more conductive it becomes. And so it'll start leaking charge faster and faster and faster with the more charge it has and the more humidity in the air. So there's that. Um, but also there's, um, yeah, there must be some sort of practical limit where the electrons can't, uh, can't jump over anymore because the, um, the potential is so, is so high and eventually it'll arc over somewhere. You know, when, when you get to the point where the leakage becomes as high as the, as the gathering, then your maximum is achieved. Um, but saying that I probably will never build a Tesla coil cause high voltage scares the bejesus out of me. So thanks for your question. Uh, another two questions now from Mick SDH on the YouTube community post. Um, he says, and he writes, I love South Main auto, by the way. Um, I found you through your podcast. I've listened to every episode on Spotify, but I still haven't watched any of your videos. Where should I start? Now, that is a hell of a question. It requires a lot of inner thought. Where would I start? Where would I suggest people start to get the gist of my channel? I don't know. Um, it seems like the mailbag videos are quite popular. So if you just like living vicariously through um, some electronics hobbyists, mailbag videos are awesome. And in fact, you don't really need to limit yourself to my channel for that. Uh, pile of Stuff, Another Maker, Gadget Reboot, um, they have great uh, uh, mailbag videos, which you can find in their channels. But not only that, but uh, pretty much all electronics enthusiasts uh, have mailbag videos. So Take a look at those. But if projects are more your jam, I would check out the Snowspeeder video. My Snowspeeder video, which is also my channel trailer, is probably a good place to start uh, because it's a little bit more polished and uh, a little bit more, you know, more thought out and more planned. So that one's a pretty decent one. So, yeah, I don't know. Go nuts. Uh, you know, click around a couple of videos and see what the algorithm has to give you. Next question from Mick. SDH is also if I wanted to make a mobile PA system attached to my 2009 Mazda 3, where would the best place to pull the power from? Where would the best place to be to pull the power from? Well, you got a couple options. So if you have relatively low current, so like 10 amps or less, then what you need to do is go over to any automotive store and get yourself an uh, an add a fuse or a fuse adder or whatever. So what this does is it plugs into your fuse box under your dash and you put a fuse in it and it gives you a little flying wire that you can crimp onto your circuit. So you can grab wire right from the circuit from, from the fuse box. And if you use the fuse box that's under the dash, it's also protected by the main fuse under the hood. So all you have to do is put your multimeter on and you want to check for a fuse that's only on under the dash when you want it to be. So 
you'll put your black wire for your multimeter on the ground, any good ground, like a, a bolt that's not painted. And then you're going to poke into the metal bits of your uh, of the, the empty spots in your fuse box until you find one that's on when you want it to be on. Now, usually if you want something to be on only when the car is running, then what you would do is you would go around and find, um, uh, you know, bits of metal in the fuse box that don't have 12 volts or battery voltage when the car is off. But when you start the car, it does have voltage. If you want it to be on all the time, then you just look for one of the spots in the fuse box that even when the key is off, um, still has 12 volts on it. So basically that's how you find where you want to go. And then you just uh, stick in your add a fuse and then you crimp it to your uh, PA system. And wherever you mount your PA system, the ground on a vehicle, so the, the negative wire, uh, can just go to any polished metal surface. So you can, you know, remove a bolt, put a jam the wire in a uh, crimp it onto a ring terminal, put the ring terminal below the bolt and bolt it down. That's your negative. You only really need to run one wire in vehicles because the whole chassis of the vehicle is the ground. I hope that helped you, and I hope that helped anyone else that's wanting to add accessories to their vehicle. And so ends the Q&A section. And so I think this is a great place to wrap it up. So if you have any sort of questions for the next time I'm going to do one of these Q&A episodes, put it in the comments below. Um, also, if you are interested in being on the Simple Electronics podcast, um, hit me up in the email. The email is simpleelectronicsyt at gmail.com. And I want to thank you guys all for listening. If you like this type of format, let me know in the comments below. And I hope to catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening.